Welcome to the podcast that teaches you how to transform your life and your business. Here is your host, Rick Hyland, and this is CI for Life. Hey, welcome to another CI for Life podcast. I am Rick Hyland. I am here with a very special guest, Peter Anthony, who is the managing partner of Meta Consulting, coming all the way from Sydney, Australia. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Hi, good day, Rick. Good day, listeners. Great to be here. Thank you for using your real accent. Good day. <laughs> <laughs> Glad you're here, Peter. Uh, excited. Peter is another sales junkie, uh, sales efficiency, effectiveness junkie. Uh, I've read some of his stuff, seen some of his stuff, and wanted him on the podcast today because he's got some great insights. So, Peter, before we jump into sales specifically, why don't you share with the listeners a little bit about your background and history? Yeah, well, my uh, my background, Rick, is I've spent uh, 20 years in, in advertising, working in big ad agencies, making commercials for like all the, the popular uh, big brands and uh, moved out of advertising uh, into sales consulting and sales growth consulting. Um, I live, as you can probably tell, in Australia, uh, on the northern beaches of, uh, of Sydney, Australia, if your listeners um, have been here. But I've pretty much spent my, my entire life in that in that sales and marketing space, having graduated originally from uni with a degree in economics. Oh, very good. And what would you say is the one of the biggest problems you see people having and when they want to scale their business? Do you have any insights for the listener on that before we jump into? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think quite apart from all the, the financial pieces, if you think about growing in terms of customer revenue, I think uh, a lot of people don't really understand that, uh, that client-centric or customer-centric growth is the most profitable growth an organisation can have, no matter who your client or customer may be. It's really a, a matter of identifying uh, who that ideal avatar customer client may be. Uh, and focusing the business on being ideal for them or being an ideal answer for the particular problem or issue that, that, that they may have. And all the research that I've seen suggests that that gives you uh, profitable uh, sales growth. Uh, and it also generates um, what they're calling customer advocacy, because the research is suggesting about uh, 80% of customers who are satisfied with what you're doing are happy to go uh, and get a service or a product from somebody else. So it's about creating that advocacy relationship, being ideal for them. And as it becomes more ideal and more customer-centric, the profitable growth results from that. Yeah, so uh, you're an advertising man. Uh, Originally, yes, that's true. Yes, yes, and now a sales growth coach. What yes. is traditional advertising dead? I know that's a harsh term, but... <laughs> Does it have select uses? Uh, I mean, based on your answer, which I completely agree with, that it has to be targeted, right, to your avatar customer and their needs and targeted advertising to their needs and that avatar customer. So is traditional advertising dead or you just got to make sure it's targeted? What's your insight on that, Peter? I think the advertising itself is not dead. There's there's still a huge demand for for brand advertising. I think what is dead is the traditional channels, 
when I was working in advertising, the big channel was television, uh, in television shows and like big programs. So the biggest program in the league is the Super Super Bowl, if you like. That's the biggest program in the league of advertisers, and that's why it was most expensive to advertise in. Now there's you've got to build a, a brand across a lot of different micro platforms. You could be doing anything from uh, Facebook uh, right through to any other social media platform your particular clients or customers may be on. So the brand stays the same. It's more fragmented in terms of how it's delivered. Uh, and I think that the message is now, because there's so many fragmented ways or vehicles you can deliver your message in, you can get more granular in how that message is articulated. Like just say, for example, if I'm if I'm selling motor cars, I'm selling Toyota motor cars, I might articulate that message different to say a mum than a dad or a, a younger a younger driver to an older driver. Same motor car, but I might articulate it different. And I can because I can use a different social media delivery platform to make that happen. So, so the delivery mechanism has changed, but I think the, the fundamentals are the same, making the brand relevant to the consumer or customer and then translating that brand into a sale through effective uh, sales relationships, whether that's one-on-many or or one-on-one. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. Yeah, the delivery, it's got to be targeted based on their pain points and their ideal needs. And to your point, if you're going after four different needs, niches or segments, you got to have specific ads in one of those delivery mechanisms that specifically speak to those, not generalities. Right. Exactly. So if you're after a younger audience, for example, you could be on TikTok, for example. So you'd be delivering a a different sort of message to a different sort of consumer. Uh, I guess the challenge now in in marketing is to to still have one consistent overarching brand that is communicated differently to your different subgroups. that's where a lot of the big organizations like, say, a Unilever, for example, that's making multiple detergent products or soap products, they're doing it, they're making a different product for a, a very different uh, subset of, of consumers, which is, again, a, a marketing issue as opposed to an advertising issue. Yeah, I love your ideas around more customer-centric uh, approach. Uh, so that leads me to my next question. There's a lot of documentation around your collaborative selling approach. Can you explain that and why it works better than the traditional view? Yeah, well, initially, like most salespeople, I was taught traditional selling. And I I found the more I use traditional selling, the less I sold. <laughs> and there's, there's so and it got a bit tricky when I got married and started having a family. I'm thinking, well, there's a lot more pressure on what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Uh, and I, I read all I read all the old books. I remember Tom Hopkins had a master of the art of selling anything and all those power closes and read all those and studied them. But I found, you know what, the more I tried those techniques, the more I learned, the less I sold. And I think there was three reasons for that. One is that uh, it's fake. I felt fake because I didn't feel like using power closes. Uh, it also creates distance between yourself and your customer. And the third one, I think, is that if someone feels like they're in a buying mode, they feel like, well, their job, if they're going to win the relationship, is to put downward pressure on fees and prices uh, with you. And there are three big problems, three huge problems. And uh, when I moved into sales consulting, I was struggling to find uh, a way of addressing those problems because when I started, I was still teaching those same techniques and I knew they didn't work. And I was meeting 
uh, right around the world, great salespeople, and they weren't using those techniques. They weren't using traditional selling. They were being very genuine in their in their product knowledge and in how they're building relationships. So that started me on a journey of looking for, okay, well, what's the alternative then? If traditional selling doesn't work and I'm getting clients coming to me saying, hey, Peter, can you teach our, our organisation how to sell? What do I do? Because I felt fake too, Rick. I felt like, well, I'm going to teach these people something I know that doesn't work. So it feels like this, no matter how many children you might have, how many families you're going to support, you think, I don't want to live that way. It's just not a great way of taking somebody's money. Yeah. So what did, what did you move to? What did you find out? <laughs> what I found out was I started doing a, a lot of uh, reading and what, what I found was uh, that that collaborative relationships uh, were ones that left both people better off. Um, I looked at uh, work from people like Eleanor Ostrom, who won a Nobel Prize in economics for her work on pro-social collaboration, look at work from people like Rachel Butzman on, in the collaborative economy, and I thought that maybe something's in this, this collaboration piece. We know collaborative cultures work well, but our collaborative teams get better results than non-collaborative teams. But I'm thinking, can we have a collaborative conversation? Can you have a collaborative sales conversation? And if so, what would it look like? We know there's great reasons to do that. Uh, and if so, what would it look like? And over a period of almost a decade, Rick, I developed uh, what I call these six moments that matter in a conversation that will dramatically change the outcomes for both people. Because one of the huge beauties of this approach is that both people end up better off. Like in a traditional sales model, the salesperson wins and the buyer may not. And that often like ring bells and offices <laughs> when, when a person made a great big sale, it was almost as if the more fake it was, the, the louder the bell rang. But in a collaborative approach, you both end up better off. Uh, the customer's better off and you're better off and the relationship builds over time. So that's that's how it happened. That's how it happened. And a lot of it was just financial necessity because I was supporting a family and they needed to find a way of doing yeah. this. So what are the six moments? You're going to read the book first. Everyone's going to buy a book. I'll just leave you on the end of the cliff. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Well, I, I called the book, surprisingly enough, I called the book Collaborate Abrax. I thought there's magic in collaboration. Oh. So I yeah. thought the collaboration, magic, abracadabra. I thought Collaborate Abra, the magic of collaborative conversation. So to, to give people a feel that, hey, there is some magic here. It, it's not trickery, but it's, there is magic when you do it well. Let's talk about those uh, those six moments. Uh, the first is clearly before the conversation takes place, you want to have very clear in your mind uh, what the goal is for the conversation. You want and we divide the goals into three different uh, alternatives, if you like. The first alternative is um, what's how is this person going to feel differently at the end of my conversation? Are they going to feel more comfortable? Are they going to feel more confident? Uh, what what is the emotional goal that's uh, that might be uh, involved here? And in most sales situations, you'd be thinking, well, I'd like my customers or clients to feel more comfortable or more confident with me, uh, or with what it is I'm recommending to them. The second part of goals is about saying, well, I might need 
or think about them changing how they're thinking because they're thinking about a competitor's offering or product, for example, and thinking that works better than what I can suggest. And maybe there's something they don't know. I need to educate them in that space. So it's a thinking goal. Or it might be a doing goal. It could be something that they're doing that uh, like a procedure they're following or a process that they're following that they may need to change because you've got a process or a technology that can help them achieve their outcomes better. So you're thinking about before the conversation starts, what's going to be different at the end of the conversation from the beginning and particularly with a benefit in mind for them, which, which I guess assumes that you understand what their environment is before the conversation starts. If you don't, the goal for the conversation might be for you to understand their environment or you understand how they make decisions, you understand for big sales what decision makers are involved and what criteria that they use. So there's always going to be a goal, and the goal is going to give the conversation some energy and it's going to keep it on track. So the crucial thing about goals in collaborative conversations is to have one and think about how in a beneficial way you could change how the person is thinking, how they're feeling or what they're doing. Moment number two happens when you get face-to-face and that is when you make decisions about how to build rapport or how to build relationship. Now, every salesperson knows the beauty of rapport and the power of rapport and it's really crucial to tune in to what sort of rapport that customer is looking for, whether they want some personal conversation first or they get straight to business, whether they're fast-paced, whether they're slow-paced, whether they're more people-focused, more outcome-focused, you are transferring all your attention onto them and making them feel that investment and subtly adjusting your style to suit theirs because what we find is that when you're willing and able to adjust your style to suit theirs, they're more willing and able to adjust their thinking to suit a potentially collaborative outcome. That's the report part, and that obviously continues through the entire conversation. Well, and I love um, it because that's client-centric <laughs> again, right? You're, you're trying to it get... Is, it's, all, it, yeah. it's all about them, and, and yeah. your listeners Rick, would know, you know when someone's paying attention to you or not. Uh, and well, it's you also you also know when they don't want to just chit chat they want to get to business right and exactly and exactly being, instead of being offended take that as as your your tip your your hint your to be more yeah. centric <laughs> to them and their needs versus what you want to do yeah exactly exactly so you are you are presenting a different version of yourself and being led by led by them and that continues through the conversation okay. and then so moment three could happen 30 seconds into the conversation. It might have, might be 20 minutes into the conversation. Moment three is about when you take the lead and you give the conversation some structure. Okay. And what you're doing here is you're answering four primary questions. And you may have done this already by email or by a conversation and setting up the meeting that you're having with the person. And those four primary questions are, why is the meeting taking place? Like, why is this conversation taking place? What benefit are we going to get from it? Uh, uh, The second question is, what outcome are we looking towards achieving? And this is going to reflect the goal that you thought about before the conversation is taking place. The third is how we plan to arrive at that outcome, like how are we going to structure this conversation and give give it some process. And the final piece is the is the so what questions. So So what's going to happen next after this conversation? So this conversation becomes 
part of an overall relationship that we're developing together because we know the quality of, of relationships is the quality of the conversations that we have with people. So that's moment number three. Um, leading the conversation or giving it some structure, not dominating it, not telling them what the structure is going to be, but discussing uh, this part with them. That's that's moment three. Does yeah, that make on, sense, Rick? Yeah, just on that one, Peter, uh, if I could comment and get your thoughts on it, but I agree completely. And and one way to do this is is what I call contracting, right? Is to say, hey, you know, we, we have 45 minutes. Is that correct? Good. Okay. You yeah. 45 minutes. All right. Here's what I'm proposing as the agenda in the 45 minutes. And tell me if you want to add anything, take anything away or or what. And then that allows you to go through what you were, you know, why we're having this call. Here's the four points we want to cover. And then at the end, I'd like to talk about next steps or a win-win if there is one. How does that sound for the use of our 45 minutes? Does that work for you? Yeah, that's, that's great. Carry on. Okay. You know, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, right. So if you contract with them, you're not dominating them. You're you're asking for your input, but you're guiding it. They want leadership and they want guide. They just don't want to be dominated, right? So you're guiding the conversation exactly. to how to use it so that you don't spend the whole 45 minutes talking about the Australian rules football team in Sydney that lost. <laughs> you know? So, right? You want to add a little bit of structure. <laughs> yeah, you do. And it's, it's really interesting. Uh, the more senior the person is that you're meeting, the more structure is required. And often these senior execs that I... I get to meet with, they're going from one back often and they may not have fully prepared their minds for the conversation that you're having with them. So it's useful just to remind them, like quite respectfully, like here's, here's the reason we're, we're meeting, uh, Rick. Here's the sort of outcome that would be useful for us to achieve. Uh, here is a useful agenda. And what that will mean after our conversation is this may or may not happen and, and get their approval uh, on that. And that's, that's really useful, get some structure. Then we move into moment number four, which is about understanding. And this is this is potentially the most important moment. This is the moment when you are understanding how they're thinking or how they're making decisions about what it is that you're proposing. Now, often I see in a lot of the clients I work with, and I'm working across 12 different countries, so I see a lot of different way different people do things. I often see people will pull a slide deck out now and present something to the person. Like, like pull up a laptop or pull out a slide deck, open PowerPoint, and here comes the pitch, right? And you think, well, hold it. Let's not pitch anything yet. I like uh, what Stephen Covey suggested in the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People when he said, seek first to understand, seeking to be understood. So this moment is about understanding how they are making a decision or how they're thinking about making a decision with regards to the topic that you're discussing. And there's four parts of that uh, we talk about in the book. Uh, The first, obviously, is what their decision-making criteria are, like uh, what sort of factors, what sort of criteria are you using here in making a decision, which is that's selling 101. Part two is to say, well, what order are those in? What's the most important and least most important? And if you're with someone very direct, they'll have the most important one first. Someone very indirect, the most important one might be last. That's the first two parts. The third part is one I really enjoy, which is what does each of those mean for you? So mm-hmm. they've got decision criteria. They might say, well, I want, it to, I want this solution to be cost-effective. Well, what does cost-effective mean for you, Rick? I'm really 
so we can ensure that we really hit the sweet spot as far as you're concerned. And you'll find the customers that you find the most challenging are the ones that have very different meanings to you. Uh, cost effectiveness for them might mean something very different um, for you. And the final one, which is one which most people feel a bit, uh, avoid asking it is, what should we do most to avoid? Like what concerns you most in making this decision? And that's when you can really test the depth of the relationship because when they start sharing their concerns, uh, that's when you know you've got a, a high quality relationship. So you need to know what the criteria are, what order they're in, uh, what each of them mean, and also what they want to do most to avoid. And then you're ensuring that what you're recommending, if possible, is going to be uh, is going to match what it is they're looking for and what it means, and also not match what it is they're looking to avoid. And that part it's likely to be the largest part of the conversation. Yes, especially if it's a two call and this is the first call. Let me even underline your point even more and say, no understanding, no sale. That's how yes, critical exactly. this part is. And it should yeah. be the bulk of your, everyone can hardly wait to get to their pitch and their PowerPoint and you know where this <laughs> should be. If you do this right, it makes your pitch and close a lot easier, right? And if you spend the time doing absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. and and the customer might say, "Look, the last thing I want to see is a PowerPoint presentation. I hate PowerPoint." And you're about to open up a PowerPoint deck to, to pitch them. Yeah. And I've had clients tell me that. I, I particularly a lot of very senior people they don't like being pitched to. Right. It's a very like one way process. It's like here's the whole. The forty slide deck. I'm going to show you in thirty minutes. It's it's just not going to work. Right. So you then understand how they how they're making a decision. Uh, now it's now it's your turn to make a recommendation, and you can make two different sorts of recommendations. You can recommend something that fits those decision making values that they've just shared with you, and that's ideal. An ideal environment is uh, what the client or customer is looking for perfectly matches what it is that you're about to recommend. That's one environment. The second sort of recommendation is you might um, subtly recommend to them that they might want to change either what their decision-making criteria are, um, what order they're in, or what they mean because of something that a unique knowledge or understand that you have. Because remember, a lot of very few customers will know your product environment as well as you do. Like just say, for example, if you're selling a, let's pluck a wild example out of the air. If you're selling a new conveyor belt system for a huge multinational factory organization, the decision maker you're talking to may not spend as much time as you do understanding conveyor belt technology, for example, or motor cars, or IT, or financial advice, or whatever it is that you're selling, it's likely you will know more than they will or have a more sophisticated knowledge than they will. So you can, with re with respect, question some of those criteria and see whether you can move them around. So you can make a one sort of recommendation is on the sweet spot of their decision-making criteria. The other is to, is to respectfully uh, recommend that they might want to think about or consider moving those criteria around because we move decision criteria around all the time. I mean, the sort of car I buy now wasn't the sort of car I bought when I was 18. The sort of hobbies I like now aren't the sort of hobbies I liked when I was 20. I mean, you change you change things quite regularly. 
So well, it is okay to recommend a yeah, change. My, my experience, Peter, is that people love it. You get them on a discovery call and you give them a free value add insight based on your experience. Because like you say, senior execs are, are generalists generally, and they've got to lead multifunctional organizations that they probably haven't worked in. Um, yeah. They may have worked in one or two, right? They got finance and marketing and, and the rest, they don't have as many insights. So if you can share them insights from what really works or what should work, you know, even if it's as simple as, you know, I wouldn't use Facebook uh, for your customer acquisition on this. That's not where your ideal client based on what you've told me. But, and here's what I'd like to do. I'd, you know, if you can come back another time in three days, I'd love to give you a fit for purpose recommendation on how we might be able to help. But they love the idea that you're giving them right in the moment some free value add recommendations based on your insights. Uh, that's my experience. They actually like it if you deliver it properly and and uh, with the depth of insight, um, and then and then move to your great fit, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and that's what you're there. I, I had that regularly too. I, we mentioned earlier about that customer centric sales growth. Yeah. A lot of the CEOs and senior execs that. I'm talking to aren't fully aware of how customer-centric sales growth works because they grew yeah. up in a in a different a different sales environment. Yep. And they're quite open to hearing about how it works, what the evidence is, and and how they can set up a, a customer-centric or a client-centric culture in their organization. If you've got the right level of relationship, I'll listen to that because they're looking for something new and different. Yep. And they appreciate that you're already you know giving some value add advice without even being paid yet that kind of builds the relationship as well but yeah okay very good uh, love it exactly so you've got your you've got your your recommendation yeah and uh then you've got moment four which is uh when you uh when moment you're agreeing six. okay six sorry my apologies moment yeah. six yep. where you are you're, you're looking for an agreement yeah you're looking for an agreement now, uh, when you make that recommendation, you uh, you'll get one of potential answers. You'll get a, a yes, which is a great answer. You'll get a no, which is a better answer, or you'll get a maybe somewhere in the middle. Now, the reason I say no is a great answer. It's not old school selling, which is ah, oh, bring on the no so I can use all my closes. Now, I like no if it's a genuine, honest no. That's often a useful answer to get because too often I find. There's almost like a, a subtle um, faking going on, like the the salesperson fakes the uh, almost an illusion that the sale is progressing, and the customer pretends that it's progressing too. And both of them really know it's not going anywhere. But that might take months before it finally comes to the to that uh, environment where it doesn't go forward. So I like to know early if it's not going to. If there's a deal breaking reason why I can't progress, let's find that out early so we don't neither of us start pretending. So you've got your yes, you've got your no, you've got your maybe. If there's a maybe, we just recommend a simple negotiating uh, approach where you can arrive at a yes that's worth having for both of you, for both you and the client or customer. Because we are our intention here is to collaborate to to see if we can find a way that leaves us both better off. And you're very deliberate about that. You're not tricking people about this. You say, look, uh, I'm into uh, a collaborative relationship. That's the approach that we take here in our organisation. And this is the spirit of the conversation that we're having. So that's that's moment number six. Now, those moments might all happen in one conversation. 
you might not you might not get to uh, fully agree on on uh, what that recommendation may look like. That might take two or three conversations, yep. but you're always agreeing on a next step. And, and ideally, you're building the sort of relevance and relationship with the customers and clients that you're working with, so that you do get that next step. They are excited to to talk to you again because you've you, you've demonstrated real and unique value to them because when i look at when i look at client research i saw some last year i won't say who the client was but uh, a globally recognized uh sales crm organization and they they surveyed their clients and customers and they said what's the number one thing you're looking for in a sales relationship with us and the number one answer was I want someone who demonstrates a unique understanding of my needs and my environment. So the main thing they're looking for is someone to understand them, like understand, like demonstrate a unique understanding of them and have a unique relationship. And that's that's what will give you the margin you're looking for uh, in the sales process. Plus, that's going to make the relationship grow and expand uh, over time. Yeah, two comments to this. I like your comment on both. Let me start with the first one. Charles Green wrote that influenced me many years ago, a um, couple of books, and they all had to do with trust-based selling. It reminds me a lot of where you're going with your collaborative approach. It's not traditional. It's not always be closing. And it's this idea, uh, I think is even his definition of trust-based selling is doing what's best for the customer every time. Even if it's against your quota, you know, you've got the end of the quarter is coming up and you really got to get it as a sales rep or sales manager. And, but you know, his point is, is if you do what's in their, their best interests every time over the long run, you will have more than enough growth. You know, we can't predict whether it comes in your quarterly allotment or not, but the point is if you're building trust, if you're being collaborative, if you have a relationship of trust, uh, you'll get more sales. If you do what's best for them, not not what's best for your quota, is that is that ring true? Is that tie in nicely to your collaborative approach? Uh, it definitely does, Rick. And what I recommend is uh, you in a sales relationship. I have I had clients that didn't buy from me for two years, and yeah. when they did, they bought large because they appreciated how I treated that relationship. And it, the long-term value of a customer is crucial. And it is all about trust. And the three of the intentions that we talk about in, in Collaborate and this, this magic of collaborative selling, obviously collaboration is one. The second intention is being authentic and genuine, which yeah. to your point. And the third is being optimistic because mm. uh, clients are looking for an optimistic relationship. They're coming to you. They've either got a problem or they've got something that could be better uh, in the future, and they're looking for a better future with you. Uh, there's a lot of good work from people like Martin Seligman and others, uh, Chris Shaw, uh, around how that more optimistic explanatory style is something that the uh, the clients and customers will engage with. So I'm 100% behind trust, that, that, wow. which, again, circling the beginning of our conversation, Rick, is the opposite of, of traditional selling, which is like yep. trick them, close them. Yep. yep. It's not, yep. not like that. No, yeah. I love it. I love that we're, and I think most of us are moving away from the traditional, I'm going to use car salesman to, 
to closing no matter what, right? Uh, to figuring out their needs. And if that doesn't come in in the timeline I needed, well, so be it. But if long-term you get the reputation of doing what's best for your client, mm, I like yeah. your success long-term, long right? Absolutely. And the interesting thing too is often we forget the customers know customers. I mean, if if I go to a, a car dealership and I'm treated really well and I, I buy a car and I'm really happy with the service, I'm going to tell on my friends. So uh, that salesperson, uh, she now has a salesperson in me working for her, telling all my friends how great she is and how you should go to see her to buy a new car. Uh, so it's uh, people tend to... Um, hang around in tribes of people that are just like them. So if if I'm a client that's happy with you and, and you've treated me well that I'm really happy with your service and what you've done with me, I'll tell I'll be I'll be bragging about yeah. what a great relationship it is. And I'm I'm now part of your sales team. Yeah. And and they'll do it more effectively than you will because if they're talking to their trusted group, they already have trust. Right. If they're exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah. You, you can use their trust. You can pseudo use that trust to to do what's best and close a deal. Exactly. That's internal as well as yeah. it's their internal colleagues and stakeholders in the organization. It's also their friends and buddies. Like uh, they could be playing golf with them or they're going to a football match with them, or they could be in a mother's group with them and they'll be telling their friends about their network about you and about how happy they are with what it is that you did because it's surprisingly rare uh, for to that is genuinely interested in helping you solve your problem and doing it in a trustful that's still relatively rare surprisingly enough yeah Good so it's it's worth talking about it's worth promoting oh absolutely and that's why we're doing this podcast and we'll promote the heck out of it because this Sales is a blessing. Sales is a good thing. Sales is helping people. It's a noble profession, right? You and I are at this, this wonderful quest to change the paradigm around uh, always be closing no matter what their needs are. Salespeople too, collaborative, trust-filled, doing what's best. We're going to flip yeah. the script, Peter. We're going to change the paradigm of what sales <laughs> looks like, right? One person at a time. <laughs> One person, I, I, I like that. I like that a lot, Rick. And I, it, it makes it a, a worthwhile way to spend the day. I mean, no matter what you're selling or who you're selling it to, yeah. you are demonstrably improving somebody's life. Yes. Uh, if you if you can help them solve their problems or help them realize their dreams better than anybody else can. And you know what? Uh, if you what have a, that approach, Peter, that optimistic, I'm changing. I believe in my product. I believe in them. I'm going to change. You don't give up easily and you don't uh, get discouraged as easily. Or if you do, you get back up because you know you have a noble cause and you're going to bless people's lives and their company and you have to keep going. And when you're driven yeah. with that kind of purpose, like you sound you are over the new collaborative approach you found, it is very both attractive to potential clients and extremely motivating for the salesperson. When you can truly believe in your cause, uh, you don't give up. You you spend no. less, less time, less motivated, right? Even if you have to do exactly, calls, you'll do whatever it takes. And it's contagious, Rick. I mean, if you are genuinely passionate about what it is that you're selling or proposing, the customers are buying that passion from you. If if you are really, you can articulate it well. You are very uh, very invested in this product. That oven by itself is very persuasive too if 
passionate and you genuinely believe in what you're doing. And what I what I suggest is that if you don't genuinely believe in what you're selling and what you're doing, find There's something, something that you can be fully invested in yeah. because otherwise you're spending all day faking. And oh. you, 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 I don't believe the fake it till you make it. I, I don't believe that in that approach. I believe in being genuine until you make it. You will not be a successful long-term rainmaker if you're faking it, if you don't really believe in your product and your cause and your purpose, right? If you want to be great long-term, you have to believe in what you're doing and that it's critical, critical. I'm in credit. Yeah, exactly. That is critical for my clients. I need to scream. I need to get to the world to let them know about credit repair. It can bless their lives. So, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. 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 I've, I've got... Uh, and it's it's almost like being evangelical yes. about what it is that you're doing. It, it almost reaches that level. You love it so much. And what I what I would recommend is find if you haven't got something that you love, find something that you love that you because you're going to spend most of your time at work, most of your week uh, at work. So you may as well be doing something that you love that really plays to your strengths. That makes you feel good when you talk about it, and makes you feel good when you know people are benefiting from what it is that you're recommending or proposing. That's the good life. Oh, that is really good, Peter. So Peter Anthony, managing partner for Meta Consulting, give us any last tips you might have and then close us off by sharing with people where they can find you, emails, websites, whatever you want. But any any last summary or, or tips and then where can people find you? Uh, what I... Last tip would be uh, trust the collaborative process and give it a try. And the next sales conversation you're having, whether it's tomorrow or or next week, uh, think about taking one of those moments and applying it and just uh, see see what happens. If people are looking for me, the easiest place to find me, whether that's online or on LinkedIn, uh, just type into LinkedIn or uh, into Google Peter Anthony Consulting or Collaboradabra. Uh, which is rhymes with abracadabra. That's the name of my book. It's it's on Amazon. So look for Collaboradabra. Look for Peter Anthony Consulting either on LinkedIn uh, or in Google. I've also got some great YouTubes I've made explain this approach in a lot more detail. You can find me on YouTube too. I would genuinely love to help you guys sell more uh, by building better, more effective collaborative relationships. Wow. P Peter Anthony, um, I am sure the CI for Life audience will get a tons of value out of your comments today. I fully endorse your six moments. I think they're spot on. Um, and the collaborative trust building style you're trying to do those six moments with. So, Peter, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Have a great week. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Rick. Cheers. Cheers.